Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to the United Citizens of Europe podcast. This is Luca, and today we're going to talk about what is going on in Ukraine. As our guest, we have a professor and diplomat Guido Lenzi, and we have another guest. She's doing a traineeship at an important international institution in Kyiv. Um, she wants us to know that all of the views are her own and do not express the views of the institution that she is working for. I hope this episode is going to help you understand what's going on in Ukraine and, and Putin's invasion. Hi, Professor Guidolinsky. So we're going to talk about the situation in Ukraine and how, how the situation uh, escalated between Russia and Ukraine. My basic question here is, how did we get here? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you will not be surprised to hear that I am astonished, astonished like uh, everybody else, I would say, even though I'm a diplomat, you know, but the diplomat tries to think uh, through uh, r- rational, uh, uh, to rational channels, etc. Try to interpret the intentions of the counterpart, try to relate to the other interlocutor, Uh, through some kind of an intellectual, uh, rational connection. Now, there is, as far as I can see, there is absolutely no rational um, uh, um, substance to what is happening. Apart from the fact that uh, Putin has been uh, saying for months that he was only having uh, uh, exercises, you know, maneuvers, military maneuvers for, what's that, five, six months, which is a long time, Obviously, nobody believed in that. Then he said that he was he was protecting the Donetsk and Lukansk uh, uh, regions uh, uh, because the Minsk agreements did not work, and therefore he had to protect the local uh, uh, Russophone uh, population, etc., etc. But what is happening has absolutely nothing to do with what he had previously uh, uh, declared. So I mean, there is no correspondence between what he has been claiming that was uh, the Russian uh, interest in the area and the Russian motives for intervening in uh, the Ukrainian situation and what is happening, which is an attack from north, south and and east, uh, uh, you know, bombing from the air, etc. I do not see how such an action can uh, solve uh, the situation uh, on the ground in Donetsk and Luhansk, uh, or how it can uh, promote uh, any agreement. So, I mean, diplomacy, which is about compromise and agreement, is uh, t- uh, being bombed, uh, you know, uh, uh, is, being, is the victim of such uh, uh, a situation, just as much as the Ukrainian population. Right? So, I mean, what what can I say? Uh, if 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 you want, we can go further and try to see yep. what can be done at the present. How can we how can we define Russian diplomacy then? Uh, well, Russian diplomacy has always been a problem uh, 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 in in all, in all of these years of post uh, all of these post war years. Uh, I can tell you that because I've been involved uh, for most of my uh, uh, professional uh, life in in such uh, uh, tasks, trying to uh, talk and negotiate uh, with the Russians. Uh, you cannot have uh, a meaningful negotiating uh, uh, relationship if uh, there isn't a minimum, at least a minimum common uh, uh, denominator. 
Now, uh, you know, uh, ever since the end of the Second World War, Cannon and Aitchison, for example, they said and they realized that uh, uh, it, it was, uh, well, you know, meaningless or at least useless to try to talk to the Soviets at that time uh, because the purpose of the Soviets was not to try to reach some kind of a minimum agreement, however, uh, insatisfactory or partially satisfactory for either side, but they were seeking a completely different result. I mean, they were trying to achieve uh, uh, inroads into the opinion of the of the West uh, with uh, pretending that there were negotiations happening, uh, but uh, um, uh, practically pursuing a, a different purpose, which of course. Uh, defeats the very purpose of, of negotiation, with, with the exception, of course, there were exceptions, like in the nuclear uh, negotiations where Russians and Americans had, at times, uh, meaningful dialogues and agreements. Uh, with the CFE, for example, the, the Conventional Forces Agreement uh, 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 reached uh, within the, within the, the OSCE, uh, establishing uh, the modalities through which the uh, deployments of uh, uh, the conventional forces could be um, uh, agreed between the parties, which Russians are uh, 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 violating and have been violating for a very long time. And the most important thing, there, were, there, was, there was a moment when we thought that we had a meaningful dialogue with the Russians, and that was during the Gorbachev years. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 when Gorbachev uh, uh, felt that uh, there was uh, that there was in his own interest, in the interest of his own country, to come to some kind of uh, a common denominator uh, applicable to the whole of of, of Europe, uh, a Europe uh, which which he called the common European house. Gorbachev uh, talked about the common European house. Uh, in the past 22 years, ever since the arrival of of uh, Putin, uh, uh, things have uh, uh, um, changed completely. So Russia does not seem, has never tried to uh, seek uh, uh, an agreement. And as even said, you know, this is even more important. Uh, Putin has been saying repeatedly that Russia is not I repeat, he said it's not a European country, it is a Euro-Asian country. He mm -hmm. said that repeatedly, and therefore Ukraine should not get close to Europe, either the European Union or NATO, because Ukraine belongs to the sphere of interest of Russia, and the sphere of interest of Russia is Euro-Asian and is not European. Therefore, you know, reneging even on the agreement, uh, the final act that was achieved in 1975 uh, with the with the CSC. So, I mean, we, we do not, we do not seem to have any uh, basis from which to start. We have to start, apparently, after what has happened uh, last night, we have to start from scratch, which is absolutely uh, um, uh, unheard of in yeah. uh, 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 pan-European relations in, the, in, in, this, in this whole post one year. You know, it's all been torn apart. We're back to square one of 1945, basically. So what do we do? I mean, last year, when we did uh, last year's interview, we were talking about how Trump was not, was completely against multilateralism. Oh. And now again, we're doing another interview where we're talking about another person 
another individual that is in power and is completely against multilateralism. And um, again, in contrary like to what uh, Trump was doing, he completely disregarded, he went one step ahead and he completely disregarded international law um, agreements that he signed, uh, that Putin signed, because um, it kind of looks like the like Putin does sign international agreements every now and then, but then it looks like um, he kind of forgets about it or like doesn't even care about um, well, reading I, what he signed. Well, I, I, I wonder, you know, uh, nowadays you cannot be unilateral. Whatever you do has to have a multilateral, I mean, a broader significance. The purpose of diplomacy and the purpose of international relations and foreign policy nowadays is to try and aggregate as much consensus around initiatives as as, as you can, which is multilateral. Now, Russia is has uh, 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 taken a decision which is, uh, you know, totally surprisingly unilateral. The, the, uh, even even Erdogan, I just heard that even Erdogan has declared that what has happened, uh, that what Russia is doing in in Ukraine is unacceptable. Uh, China has been saying, well, okay, let's not overdo it and let's avoid, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, 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 an uncontrollable development and so forth. China has no interest in uh, uh, accepting uh, uh, such, a, uh, such a development. China did not recognize, has not recognized the annexation of Crimea, for example. So China is playing a different game. And when we say that the danger is that Russia and China will come together and will form an alliance, that is you know, nonsense. Because uh, 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 on the contrary, I think that by behaving in such a way, uh, uh, Putin is putting himself under the, how could I say, uh, protection of, of China's foreign policy. I mean, his, his, his only uh, possible partner is China. And China is going to subjugate Russia. It is not going to fall. I mean, the Russian tail will not be able to wag the Chinese dog. There is no doubt about that. So how does Putin think that he can get away with it? He is totally isolated. And maybe that is a problem, you know. How can we ensure that uh, Putin gets over this uh, uh, psychosis, this paranoia of being surrounded, aggressed, isolated, because he is as isolated. He was isolated before Ukraine, and after this aggression in Ukraine, is not getting out of the corner in which he painted himself. You know, by avoiding any possible avenue of cooperation in the past in 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 Europe. So, it kind of it kind of looks like. Um... Uh, Putin's uh, foreign diplomacy strategy, uh, or like his definition of multilateralism, is marked by using the um, the compatriots abroad kind of strategy. So every um, Russophone or uh, people with a Russian backgrounds, he kind of claims these lands, bordering neighboring lands, yeah. um, that are in other countries as yeah. his own, yeah. and that's how he basically. No, he, tries to negotiate with other countries. But, yeah, but that is, for example, the, Kazakhstan. That is the point. Is is actually uh, um, by all of his actions in Kazakhstan, precisely uh, in uh, in uh, 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 Nagorno-Karabakh, with what happened a couple of years ago in Belarus at the present moment. You know, he is establishing uh, 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 um, a belt uh, uh, around Russia 
of uh, uh, open uh, crises and situations of uh, uh, critical situations. You know what happened in Georgia with the with the uh, recognition of Abkhazia and South Ossetia, uh, uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, and uh, now uh, uh, with uh, with uh, the Donbas, etc. Uh, he uh, is relying on the fact that all of these countries in the near abroad, as, he, as they call it, the near abroad, all of these uh, uh, countries have problems to solve, which Russia did not contribute to solving. On the contrary, has ensured that there were these irritants uh, in every one of the countries surrounding it, by which it was able to uh, uh, con con control the situation. You know, there are peacekeepers, Russian so-called peacekeepers in um, Armenia, in, uh, in now in Kazakhstan, uh, and uh, he said that he would put uh, uh, peacekeepers uh, in uh, Donbass. That's not exactly what is happening. Uh, you know, uh, more than peacekeeping, it's a way of having a finger in every pie, ensuring that such pies uh, do not escape the control of, of Russian foreign policy. So it is it is um, a policy, a foreign policy based on uh, security, on the security obsession, rather than on the cooperation and using these countries as a means to find uh, a common uh, ground with the other European countries, etc. He is, he is isolating himself. He has been isolating himself uh, for uh, uh, gradually, increasingly, during these 22 years, 22 years of uh, uh, authoritarian power. Another, another serious problem, I think, is that from what we saw on television in these few, in the last few days, um, uh, uh, his relationship with his uh, 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 main uh, uh, assistants, you know, foreign minister, chief of secret services, etc., are absolutely horrible. He, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to want uh, to develop. Uh, um, uh, how to say a, a collective decision a mechanism in in Russia? He is an autocrat uh, with respect to his own uh, to his own ministers, which uh, which is not how things uh, function, except possibly in China. But China has other 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 arrows uh, uh, to use. Russia only has its uh, uh, military uh, uh, might. Russia has much more than that. Uh, China has much more than that. No, yeah, it looks like um, Russia doesn't really have like any uh, type of cultural diplomacy in place. It's as you said, like it's mostly just military. Like military is the only type of diplomacy that um, not even Russia. I would say like Putin has um, has in mind to negotiate and um, and decide on. So let's um, we mentioned a little bit about Crimea. Can we talk a bit more about Crimea? Because uh, the annexation of of Crimea, like it's been now like um, almost eight years, mm, and um, let's well, say that that is a touchstone. That is a typical uh, case uh, in which uh, what uh, Putin has been saying is absolute, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, completely made up. When Russia. Uh, uh, or his uh, proxy troops uh, uh, occupied Donbass in 2000 and, uh, 
and uh, uh, 14. And when they annexed uh, uh, Crimea after the Orange Revolution in Kiev, etc., uh, 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 NATO and Europe did not do anything. Exactly. They did not react. When the Russians intervened in Georgia, NATO did not react. So because we were taken by surprise, we didn't know what to do. The West does not fight wars anymore. Yeah. The West, America, America is withdrawing from direct military intervention. We know, we know it. We saw it. Uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, etc., etc. Um, uh, and and Europe does not do war. So uh, the, uh, 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 leaders like like Putin are taking advantage, saying, "Okay, I can do what I want because I will not be uh, challenged militarily." But then he cannot say that. Uh, he cannot argue that NATO is being um, uh, uh, laid out in order to aggress and threaten militarily Russia. There is no such indication, whatever, there has been no such indication, whatever, um, with respect to the many uh, uh, past uh, Russian uh, aggressions from, 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 from Georgia to, to to Ukraine now, and that's what, I mean, there, there has been uh, to, 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 to Crimea, I mean. So, I mean, uh, 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 the willingness of, of the West to try and establish a working relationship, working relationship, if not necessarily a straightforward agreement with Russia, has been um, uh, defeated by the fact that Putin has taken it to be uh, uh, an opportunity to um, uh, do what he wants. And that is not what the West has been doing. So, I mean, these are two different interlocutors. We're talking about diplomacy. The West tries to talk, uh, and, uh, and Russia feels that, therefore, it doesn't want to act, uh, which is a simplified version of a balance of power uh, policies, if you will. Yeah. I, I want to go back to what you said about the West doesn't fight uh, wars anymore, because that's a really interesting topic, because again, like the European Union doesn't even have um, a common army. Of course not. Of course not. The European Union is the shape of things to come. Uh, the European Union represents how things should uh, change in Europe in particular, but in the rest of the world as well. Let's not forget that France and Germany have been at war three times ever since 1971 and First World War, Second World War. Three times and, and, and Europe has been uh, uh, destroying itself uh, militarily. Uh, the European Union has been based on the fact that we are not going to do that anymore. There are other, and, and the, on the contrary, that the international uh, liberalism, you know, the cooperative system, jaw-jaw uh, is better than war-war, that cooperating is better than antagonizing, that cooperation is better than balance of forces. It's a different world, and globalization should push us all in that, in that direction. So the European Union is not um, um, a dangerous, like, like even Putin. Uh, by the way, you know, in, in this respect, I think that Putin is more worried, has been more worried by the European Union than by NATO, because he saw that NATO is not uh, 
uh, is not willing uh, to uh, accept uh, a fight or to, or to pick a fight for that matter. Uh, what he fears is that the European uh, contamination of the European Union uh, way of life and uh, uh, diplomacy and uh, social and economic policy, etc. This is uh, what uh, Ukraine um, uh, is basically aiming at. And do remember that when uh, uh, the revolution happened, so-called Orange Revolution happened in Kiev, it was because the Ukraine was about to sign an association agreement with the European Union, not with NATO. So now we're talking about NATO, oh, but the, uh, Ukraine should not join NATO. Nobody is, I mean, of course, it's a possibility. Anything can happen. Anybody can join anything. But I mean, that's not in the cards. Ukraine, Georgia, uh, uh, I don't know, Armenia, Serbia, even, uh, what have you, joining joining uh, 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 NATO is not in the cards. So when, when we're talking about abstraction, what is in the cards is a cooperative arrangement with the European Union, which has its own rules, its own conditionalities, etc. And Russia fears that Ukraine may wish to uh, relate and, and integrate somehow economically and socially, visa, investments, and what have you, with the European Union. It's the European Union because that, that Putin fears, because this is what I've told you at the beginning. The Russia does not feel, or at least claims, that it is not a European country, that it is a Euro-Asian country. And you know why? Um, uh, uh, Russia uh, 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 repeats and insists that it is a Euro-Asian country because it is afraid of losing the connection with China. Because it is afraid that China may, I mean, you know the relationship between China and Russia have been fraught with difficulties for a very long time, Uh, Mao and Stalin and and all of the others. So uh, the, the, the Siberia is an open um, uh, land uh, uh, subject uh, to uh, Chinese um, influence increasing. So uh, Russia does, if, if Russia decided that it is European and it is uh, going to cooperate with Europe, China could say, ah, ah, okay, so Russia is European and Asia to the Asians and Europe to the Europeans. And this is what uh, Russia fears most. I am persuaded that the greatest worry of Putin is to uh, is with respect uh, to China, which is a partner, which is a partner, but it is such a huge and dominating party that it would it would influence it uh, much more than than NATO or European Union will ever be able to do. So it it is it uh, it is a predicament, you know, that Putin has to solve. But it is not, you know, whether it belongs to Europe or whether it becomes to Asia, whether it become below, be, uh, belongs to both, uh, from Brest to Vladivostok, uh, 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 or, or whether it is stuck in the middle. But I, I understand uh, what Putin's uh, uh, strategic worries are, but all of them do not add up to any reason uh, to justify the um, uh, the war against uh, Ukraine. Don't forget that Ukraine was um, uh, in 1994 
in the agreement of Budapest, Ukraine, Belarus, and Kazakhstan, signed the treaty with the United States and I think Britain and the possibly another European country, etc., um, uh, um, that promised to respect the uh, territorial integrity and sovereignty, Russia promised to respect the integrity of these three countries um, um, in exchange for them uh, giving up their nuclear their nuclear uh, armaments, right? That was a treaty. That's a treaty by which Ukraine said, I have had the guarantee of uh, 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 sovereign and territorial integrity, which Russia has been. It's not the Minsk agreements. The Minsk agreements are, is a completely different thing because the Minsk agreements are about reaching uh, a solution. But Budapest 94 was an agreement, and that is what Russia is actually uh, violating, hmm? rather than the Minsk agreement. What can NATO and the European Union do to de-escalate the situation? Uh, yeah, you know, but that that is the point of, uh, as I said, I don't think that uh, we'll have to listen to what Biden is going to say in a few minutes, I think he's going to speak. <laughs> but what, what has happened is that because of the things that we said, uh, America is back uh, in the European equations. Uh, fully, European Union uh, um, uh, strategic autonomy, uh, which should be developed, like Macron uh, rightfully says, uh, cannot happen uh, uh, without uh, uh, an American, um, uh, uh, you know, supporting it. These these greater European, but. Um, uh, all of this will not amount to a block-to-block -block military confrontation because, as I said, America and the West and Euro-American Euro relationship is not about confrontation, it's not about war, it's about cooperation. So what we should do, obviously, and the same applies to China, mind you, with respect to Taiwan, the South China Sea and Hong Kong, etc. We have, I think, to ensure that the West remains uh, 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 the, the, the partnership, the uh, Euro-American partnership remains solid and, 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 and visible and credible uh, um, uh, uh, and let uh, facts uh, prove uh, uh, to these would-be uh, uh, autocrats uh, that uh, their uh, way of dealing with international relations uh, is not decisive. It does not. Uh, uh, it does not lead uh, to any significant advantage. You know what advantage did Russia get out of occupying and annexing uh, 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 Crimea? I, I I I don't know. It's just a matter of pride. What is it going? What is it trying to get out of this invasion of Ukraine? National pride. But you don't eat pride. Uh, you don't get uh, investments uh, uh, and, and international cooperation and access to resources, etc., through uh, pride. Uh, uh, there is there is more to that, of course. Yeah. In one of your articles, you said that we need to get used to the fact that gas prices are going to be skyrocketing, oh, yeah. and um, and you know it makes sense in a geopolitical um, in a geopolitical point of view, of but but not in a factual point of view. Like, do you believe yeah. that this is feasible? 
Yeah, but when push comes to shove, when the Russians invade Ukraine, uh, all all of the arguments about you know the price of oil and we're not uh, we're not uh, 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 the, the you know the, the price of energy in general in our countries is going to increase, uh, that is not going to change our mind. Because, you know, when you are pushed with your uh, back to the wall, like we are in the West, uh, we cannot, uh, uh, we're not able to uh, argue that, well, on the, on the other hand, you know, we, 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 we need the, the Russian gas and, and oil, and therefore we will uh, submit uh, to, the, to the... This is something that could have become some an element of the negotiation uh, with Russia, possibly in the direction of cooperation. And that is exactly why the South Stream, the, uh, sorry, the North Stream 2 uh, was developed. Uh, uh, we all thought, and the Germans in particular thought, that by establishing this additional connection with the Russians would persuade the Russians that cooperation would be um, uh, conducive to a better relationship. Obviously, that was not, this is not what happened. On the contrary, it has become an element of uh, of uh, you know blackmail, an yeah. element of blackmail. Now, uh, when you say that, uh, which is a related issue, when you say that sanctions are uh, useless and do not reach a purpose, that is nonsense again, because you have to impose sanctions, not so much to punish the misbehavior of the country that you are addressing, but in order to preserve the integrity of the international system. Russia should not get away with this because it is tearing apart the fabric of international relations. And therefore sanctions are foreseen, mind you, they are foreseen by Article 41 and the Charter of the United Nations as an alternative to military uh, intervention. If you look at the Charter of the United Nations, Article 14, it says in order to avoid uh, you know, military crash, uh, 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 we should start with sanctions, which should persuade the counterpart to change course. So sanctions have to be used because we do not use, by the West, sanctions are used by the West uh, uh, because we do not use, we are not willing to um, um, uh, you know, uh, utilize the military means, unless, of course, we are uh, ourselves uh, attacked. Yeah. Our territory is attacked. That's a completely different matter, because that is a matter of self-defense, obviously, which is Article 51 of the uh, Charter of the United Nations. But here is not a matter of straightforward self-defense against territorial violation. It's a matter of violating the fabric of the international system in Europe, and by extension, the world over. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually done with, with all the questions that I wanted to that I wanted to mm -hmm. ask you as of now. Like, is there something that I didn't ask you and you, you think that oh. is it's fundamental to add to oh, understand oh, oh, better the... Well, you the, know, the, the important thing, you know, is that uh, w what is happening should become a wake up call uh, for our public opinion. Right? Uh, uh, who thought that uh, war was not a mean of dealing with things, you know? Uh, Afghanistan, Vietnam, Libya, etc. You know, we shouldn't use arms. We should uh, uh, avoid using the military means, etc. But uh, somebody said that if you don't go to war in certain uh, dire circumstances, the war will come to you. 
And this is exactly what is happening. So I hope at least that, that some pub, our public opinion, and I'm saying in particular the Italian public opinion, which is rightly, which is rightly, uh, uh, you know, adverse to utilizing the military means, uh, 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 this is going to be a wake-up call for us. The Brits, the French, even the Germans, you know, with their long history of, uh, of. Um, uh, 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 tragic uh, uh, experiences in war, etc. Uh, even the Germans are understanding that uh, you cannot um, discount uh, the need uh, to establish, uh, to, to, to respond to force by force. But of course, not bilateral, not each one of them, us together. So, European Union, but the European Union is not enough because of the reasons that we said, because we do not war, we do not war anymore. But European Union with America, possibly with an increased contribution of the Europeans and a, a reduced contribution of the Americans, you know, changing uh, the, the relationship, the mix between, uh, between uh, the two. And that, that is something that, uh, that should dawn on the uh, con political conscience of our public opinion and our electorate uh, and, and, and so forth. So, I mean, you know, uh, uh, who was that? Monet, I think, he said that uh, Europe uh, 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 developed and increased its uh, integration through crisis. Well, this is, uh, uh, you know, uh, quite a crisis uh, for the European Union and our public opinions. I mean... Only through, only with the uh, von der Leyen Commission, we've already been through uh, so many things. So. Yeah, <laughs> something else I need to mention within, in this respect. I, I think uh, that we should notice that Russia refused uh, to, um, in all of these attempts at uh, diplomatic uh, negotiation, Russia refused to take European leaders seriously. Uh, Scholz, uh, Macron, and others, uh, even the, the Brits, I, th I think the British uh, foreign uh, uh, minister went to Moscow, and they were treated in a very cavalier manner, I must say, uh, by, by the Russians. The Russians don't want to negotiate with the Europeans. They want, the, their only interlocutor is America. Okay. Uh, you know, in other words, they want to reestablish this condominium between Russia and America over the Europeans, over Europe, which is not what the European Union integration was supposed uh, to uh, accept, you know? And therefore, we have to, you say, what can the European Union and, 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 and America do? Is to persuade together, Europe, together, European Union and America, that European Union is an inter an interlocutor, an indispensable interlocutor for Russia. Russia must take Europe seriously, as as a serious as a serious partner. Gorbachev did it. Uh, uh, the successor of Yeltsin in 2000, Putin, uh, did not do it. Europe has uh, must establish its credentials as an indispensable interlocutor, diplomatic interlocutor in Europe, with the support of America, of course. Hi, everyone. I'm here with um, our, our new guest. Um, this time it's going to be anonymous because uh, she's working for an institution in Kyiv. Um, so um, 
since we don't have the permission from the institution she's working for to do this interview, uh, this is going to be um, she's going to be anonymous. So we're just going to call her for by her initials, which is going to be um, MB. Uh, how are you doing? Hi, thank you very much for having me here. I'm quite fine, if we can say fine. <laughs> I'm ready to answer to your questions. Let's get into into the whole into the whole conversation. So one of your tasks is to check the Ukrainian press. Yeah. What did you find out in the months prior to the attack? Well, uh, I could say a lot on this point. Um, of course, the tension between Russia and Ukraine has been in spotlight for months in the Ukrainian media, more than any other issue. And for each statement or measure taken on the Russian side, there has been a corresponding reaction or comment on Ukrainian one and in, in Ukrainian media, of course. And the impression I've had, generally speaking, since the very first moment I checked the press, uh, was that, of course, Ukrainian people are highly aware of the situation in the country and of the danger represented by Russia. And but they are also in a way used to deal with this situation more than Western people. Um, in other words, it is not something new to them, of course. It has been often highlighted that the tension with Russian Federation has been ongoing since 2014, since the annexation of Crimea, and the matter has never been solved. So the country has been preparing and considering its options for years now. And so it has stressed that it would that it would not have been caught unprepared by the events, by any kind of events. What made you uh, think that because uh, one of the one of the issues that you um, while we were talking um, a couple of weeks ago, you really even last week, you really didn't think that this escalation would happen and yeah. that uh, Russia would finally, let's say, attack and invade uh, Ukraine. Uh, what made you think that? Uh, well, there were several reasons, actually. Um, first of all, the fact that this tension is not new, as we said. It is the result of a long-standing situation, which has been more or less under control in the past years. Secondly, uh, a lot of countries in Europe and in the Western world at large committed themselves to pursuing a diplomatic composition of the crisis. And I openly stated that diplomacy is the only possible way today. So a strategy has been pursued on this matter. Uh, for instance, in the last weeks, a lot of foreign leaders, diplomats and heads of states and governments visited Ukraine almost every day. They had consultation and talks both with uh, the Ukrainian politicians and Russian representatives because they also visited Moscow then. And it has been said that this huge presence of foreign officials was also aimed at discouraging a possible invasion from by Russia. And um, also several frameworks for dialogue have been intensively used in the past weeks, like the so-called Normandy format, uh, together with a lot of bilateral talks in order to strengthen the existing partnerships between Ukraine and other countries, or to create new partnerships, or just even to find a common ground for negotiation. And in particular, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was yeah, a couple of weeks ago, uh, after Macron's visit to Kiev and then to Moscow, it seemed that there was some room for dialogue and maybe even for negotiation with Russia. So signals seem to be positive at one moment. And but also a third reason not to expect an open military confrontation is the fact that 
too many stakes are at play in this situation. You know, it is not only a matter of Russian territorial expansion and prestige, but uh, there are also economic interests which need to be taken into account. And we know that from this point of view, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline constitutes a significant instrument of pressure held by the West. Um, it has been said um, multiple times that in the event of a military aggression, Russia would have experienced terrible economic losses and it should have acted as a deterrent, you know. Uh, in conclusion, I can say that, of course, the tension was there. A possible escalation needed to be taken into account because we had mixed signals, like also the multiple cyber attacks to the Ukrainian government websites. There was a fund, uh, there was a funding that was uh, a donation funds that was in place and that's yeah, and yeah, now it's also hacked. Like yeah, this exactly. very, very, very recent. Yeah, um, this is among the latest news. And we have heard a lot about this hybrid war now, and but still an open military confrontation on the ground with all the consequences it produces seemed not to be that likely some weeks ago. And there have been leaks also recently about possible possible military attacks to Ukraine from Russia. And but even that news could be interpreted as part of a broader strategy of deterrence implemented to detect the real intent of the Russian Federation. So we had mixed signals, but maybe basically from a Western point of view, an open military confrontation didn't seem to be so likely because of the huge consequences. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But again, it's also not the first time that this happens uh, from Russia against yeah. uh, Ukraine. So, so um, the Ukrainian press reacting to the escalation compared to the Western press? Uh, well, yeah, we, we had the reaction and I think that also the reaction of um, Ukrainian media was slightly different from the one uh, by Western media. Basically, Ukrainian media seemed to be less shocked than Western media by this escalation because they mainly tried to reassure the population and to tell that uh, in previous week, they tried to tell that in the event of a Russian military attack, the country was prepared. Um, I remember I attended an online interview with the head of the office of the president, uh, Yermark, only one month ago. It was, yeah, it was mid-January. And he repeated several times that this time the situation was different compared to 2014, that Ukraine was stronger than ever, better prepared, and that also the country could count on the support coming from a lot of international allies and partners. And I remember he stressed several times this point, the relevance of the partnerships and of the support provided by the Western world. So basically, I think that there was confidence that the situation with Russia could be addressed and maybe even sorted out successfully without resorting to weapons. And also, it was made very clear that Ukrainian people is not willing to give up to its freedom and its independence. Um, it is ready to fight for this Velus. It was said something that these are Velus flowing in their blood, you know. So to conclude, I would say that uh, Western media, even Western politicians, compared to uh, Ukrainian ones, sounded maybe more alarmist when they reported the news concerning the tension between Russia and Ukraine. After the attack, how is the Ukrainian press reacting? Is it still the same? Is it still 
more alarming in the in the West rather than in Ukraine? Well, according to what I've seen and read until now, I can tell that even now Ukrainian media or at least some of the Ukrainian media is trying to focus on the positive side, you know, of the situation. Um, I mean that Ukrainian sources are providing not only information about the Russian attacks, of course, but they are also conveying news about the success of the Ukrainian army, even little successful events like, you know, um, some Russian military means captured or blocked in a specific area or Russian servicemen defeated. Or maybe I, I read uh, um, an hour ago, I think, about an entire, an entire Russian military squad which decided to surrender and not to fight. Um, I believe they are doing this to encourage people um, and readers to keep their mood as positive as possible, you know. And of course, they are also concerned with the transparency of information. Indeed, they provided a list of reliable sources which can be consulted by citizens and even foreigners in order to have trustworthy information about the situation there, about the conflict. Is there anything that I didn't ask you, but you think that is fundamental to to hone the back of our minds for trying to understand and decipher the this whole situation? Uh, well, <laughs> it's really hard to say, and I also I, I really feel I'm not in the position to give advice about this situation because it's really complicated. But what I can say now is just that the way in which the Western world reacts now uh, is crucial to determine the further developments in this situation because I really believe that on Western reaction depends whether this Russian-Ukrainian conflict will remain something limited to a specific area or it will evolve into something bigger like a possible world war, you know, something uh, involving more countries in the world. I think this will be really crucial. Okay, um, thank you very much and um... I hope next time we can have you with um, with your full name and with the permission of the institutional that you're uh, working for. So again, thank you very much and hope to hear you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. If you liked our episode, please consider rating us five stars and share the podcast with your friends. It would mean a lot to us.